In reality, I'm several floors up in an office building overlooking Albert Park Lake in Melbourne. I'm surrounded by tech, computers, laptops, cords, screens, ergonomic chairs, the whole lot. What I'm seeing is completely different. In my virtual reality headset, the world looks like my grandparents' home, a place that seems instantly familiar and alien at the same time. Okay, so this is a house from, um, from that particular era. It's an older person's house. It's got photographs, it's got cups, it's got pots, it's got books on the bookshelf, paintings on the wall, family photographs, and, and books and magazines uh, by the windowsill. And that terrible old kind of yellowy carpet. <laughs> it used to be quite common. Uh, I'm standing on the edge of a hallway that's right, isn't it? So I, yep. I've got, I've got a, a polished board, board hallway in front of me. Ahead of me is what I expect is the bedroom at the end of the hall. Is that right? There's a few things at the end of the hall and you'll find out which. Okay, <laughs> okay. That voice was Liam Maguire, one of the developers behind what I'm about to experience. And his warning about what happens next is spot on. Within seconds, what I see starts to change. Water seeps out from the wall to my right, rushing over the floor, turning it instantly into a glassy and dangerous surface. I turn around to the left and the bookshelf, which a moment ago was full of upright bound volumes, has become a muddy mess of brown, bereft of definition. I look ahead and the wallpaper that seemed so indistinct a moment before is flapping in a weird geometric rhythm. I look down and the carpet at my feet has changed colour to a vivid orange and it seems to pulsate with squiggling black slugs, or are they ants? And the noise, there is this noise getting louder. And then part of my central vision suddenly disappears, replaced with a layer of cloudy film that prevents me seeing anything with any clarity. It's a shocking sensory overload. And that's what it's supposed to be. What I've experienced is the virtual reality training tool that Dementia Australia uses to help carers better understand what life might be like for those people living with dementia. From the distortion of hallucinations, which is a symptom of what is known as Lewy body dementia, to the separate but often accompanying visual problems such as cataracts and glaucoma that can add another layer of complexity and danger to a life of someone battling dementia. I was in that experience for five minutes. Many Australians are living it every waking moment. It's a frightening insight into a world where all the things you thought you knew are different. All the things you trusted with your eyes and your ears can't be trusted anymore. It's a shape-shifting, colour-blinding, hellish vision of an alternative universe that happens to be the reality for 472,000 Australians. This particular technology is now several years old, but it remains a favourite with many of those associated with it, whether it's Maguire, who is a director of Opaque in Melbourne, or the team at Dementia Australia, who refer to it with a kind of affection usually reserved for a favourite aunt. In 2015, the project won the World Citizenship category at Microsoft's Imagine Cup. But more importantly, it's been the starting point for a range of technological innovations at Dementia Australia. And these innovations that have brought together computer game technology, philanthropy and dementia carers have helped change the approach to caring for those living with dementia. In the circumstances then, perhaps it's not surprising that the impetus for all of this came from a puzzle, the kind of puzzle that can often lead to inspiring solutions. 
Marie McCabe, Dementia Australia's CEO, takes up the story. We were looking at our education programs and what we were doing is looking at the evaluations and the evaluations were excellent. When people attended our programs, they gave glowing feedback and we were so excited about that. But then what showed up was there was no change on the ground. And we thought, this is inconsistent. What is going on here that we're getting this really great feedback about the program, yet it's not translating into change of practice on the ground? And we followed up with some people who participated. And what they said was, look, we come to the programs. We love participating. We get all this great information. We go back to our service or our home, our residential care home. And we're told, no, we don't do it like that here. And it was like, you know, Bambi meets Godzilla. They've got all this new information. They're excited about implementing it and they can't. They're thwarted. Marie was amazed then and still is at just how well the technology worked. We've had the programs that we've developed to be evaluated by Swinburne University. And the really amazing thing is that what it showed was a 300% increase in empathy. And once people have empathy, they start to act differently. They can behave intuitively. You know, there are things that they would do that without that is not available to them. And, you know, we had feedback and this example always moves me. It was a carer, she'd been involved in the virtual dementia experience and that was really the first piece of technology that we developed that simulated for people the experience of what it was like to have dementia. And it was a two-hour program. She'd done the, the program, gone back into her workplace, and there was a resident that she'd been working with. And every morning when they got to the shower, she'd cry and get upset. And this, and she'd been working with her for months. And this particular morning, the same thing happened. And she thought, I know what to do. And she ran and got her glasses. And the resident put on her glasses and she went, oh, it's the shower. She showers every day with her glasses on, is happy to do it. The staff member knows herself as somebody who makes a difference and the family are thrilled. The simple goal was to give carers an entree into the world of dementia. That insight has many benefits. It might help carers develop the understanding to prevent some challenging behaviours among patients and to even deal with them if they do happen. But fundamentally, it was about making a connection a bridge of understanding between a carer and the person they were caring for. What I experienced with a VR headset actually had its beginnings as an immersive projection on a massive wall at Dementia Australia's headquarters in Parkville. The technology of a VR headset enabled that experience to become portable and opened up its use outside of the Parkville precinct. And none of this would have been possible without the help of donors who have supported Dementia Australia's technology journey, including the Rosemary Norman Foundation, the IOOF Foundation, Life Care, the federal and state governments, Gandell Philanthropy, as well as the technology development arms of Swinburne and Deakin Universities. It's been absolutely essential. The virtual dementia experience was actually funded by the board Mm. and we took the request to the, it was the Alzheimer's Australia Vic board at the time, and they said, well, how do you know this will work? And we said, well, we don't. And they said, well, what evidence is there? And we said, well, there isn't any, right? This is, you know, this is innovative. And that's been the most extraordinary part of this is we, you know, we really, it it was an educated guess 
They've backed really most of the development of our technology. So it was the virtual forest that, and we developed that for people living with dementia to have fun, to have an experience of control over an environment. And that was sponsored by LifeU Residential Care. And we did a prototype of yeah. the virtual forest. And how it ended up was nothing like how we originally imagined because we had people working with dementia from LifeU working with our team to develop something that made a difference to them, that was important to them. And, you know, we had some amazing benefits out of that, completely unintended but fabulous benefits. There was something like a 68% decrease in the amount of challenging behaviours from residents who participated in it. There was, you know, a similar decrease in the amount of antipsychotic use, which was so fantastic. Like, these were things that we never imagined but were so exciting to have achieved through technology and through giving people control over their environment, the experience of having fun and just the experience of being able to participate in a way they previously couldn't. The virtual forest Marie's talking about is another technological innovation developed with Opaque. It's designed to engage those living with dementia in a soothing and immersive experience. They sit in front of a massive screen that features a park and forest that reflects the seasons, and with a simple wave of their hand, the user can change their view. It is their forest, and the experience helps them feel some control over their own environment. You could be forgiven for asking why Dementia Australia took this route. Education is actually the organisation's key business, not technology. But after Marie looked at the results of the traditional education programs, with and without technology, it was technology that won, hands down. Not only that, it created interest around the world. Suddenly, Marie and her business development manager, Tanya Petrovich, were off to San Francisco to a conference on gaming development technology. And it wasn't exactly what either of them expected. I've got to say, it was like spending a week on the Big Bang Theory. It was unbelievable. <laughs> they were all sheltered. They were incredible. And I said to Tanya, we've got to go in and listen to some of the presentations. Well, it was unintelligible. <laughs> they were speaking another language. Yeah, we could yeah. not understand True. anything. But it was the most amazing experience where they were learning from what we had done. In reality... Marie and Tanya were perhaps more at home than they thought. After all, they had spent a lot of time working in close proximity to graduates of university game design courses, including Liam from Opaque. And Marie believes the collaboration with the university sector has been fundamental to testing and developing the technology. Working with people that deal with technology, they view life through a particular lens and the work they do is amazing. The benefit that we have is the expertise that they have in technology and the partnership with Dementia Australia allows them to see the world through the, through the eyes of someone living with dementia or through a carer's eyes. And they then get to apply the technology to have that come to life. Many other people in Marie's position might have found the challenge of working across the divide, bringing technology and academic approaches to the deeply personal challenge of dementia, a bridge too far, a risk too large to contemplate. But Marie didn't see it that way. I thought it was a moderate risk. Moderate. I did. I was worried that uh, that 
look, if it didn't work, then there was a lot of money that had been invested in it and I was concerned about that. But I was more interested, I was more interested in that it would, right? There was, I was just, all I could see was it making a difference. And there were all these other things in the way. And we had conversations after we developed the virtual dementia experience, when we were reviewing our strategy saying, should we continue with this? It's doing amazing. It's bringing in income to the organization, but this is not core business. Is this something we should divest? So we were looking at, you know, we were looking at, do we keep going with this? And we got to the point, well, this is making a profound difference. We can't, you know, we, no, we don't want to let go of this. It is transforming the way that education is delivered. It's transforming practice on the ground. No, we're not, we're not giving up on this. It was the results that we were so wedded to. Now, if it had been making widgets that produced those results, we'd have made widgets. But it was really the, the exciting part was doing something innovative. The early contact, however, especially with the game developers, took the conversation in unexpected ways, as Dr Tanya Petrovich recalls. I met the game developers and they made a comment about game developers being very good educators, which at first I thought, what do you mean? How, how can that be the case? And they said, well, when your child picks up a, a game, they don't read instructions. They learn how to play the game through the game itself. Mm -hmm. And really that moment was the one where I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> you can mm -hmm. learn through game. And that just started the whole conversation of how can we use games to teach people? Tanya is a scientist. She understands the process of testing, trial and error. But she acknowledges that she didn't really have a clear idea of how to get to or indeed where she thought she wanted to go. I didn't really have a fixed idea of where we were going. All I knew was we needed to create an experience of dementia. So I didn't really understand exactly where we were going to end up. I just knew that at the end of it, people needed to have a better understanding of dementia. We needed to use um, the, the symptoms and uh, the condition that is and, and bring it to life for people. So it was pretty broad level. And in fact, even when we approach our projects now, we don't go in with a fixed idea of where we're going to end up. It's just a broad approach of, okay, so we know, we know this technology has to meet these criteria. How we're going to get there, we're not entirely sure. But as we go along, we'll develop it. And inevitably, there were times when she was disappointed when the reality didn't quite measure up to the hope of what she thought was possible. Because our ideas were bigger than the technology was able to deliver, yeah. to be truthful. Probably the hardest one was the virtual dementia experience because it was really our first step into mm. technology. Mm. And the first step was, okay, so we, we're going to have this game experience. Are you going to stick it on the TV? What are you going to do with mm. this? And it, this was before the headsets were available. So When it comes to working out what you need, though, there are some things that have to be part of the end result. And in this instance, those things became the guide. So it's always about being crystal clear on what the end product needs to deliver. So there are certain things that we cannot compromise on. It needs to have a, an outcome in terms of education. It needs to meet a group workshop experience. So there were a few things that were just non-negotiables. For Liam, the challenge of building such a virtual experience had to be based on real-world experience and years of medical research for the experience to be real. 
yeah, we did first-hand research and interviews uh, with people with dementia and the people who care for people with dementia, both professional carers and personal carers, so like family members. And yeah, we got a lot of uh, very useful information out of talking to people with the condition. It's one of the things you want to be very careful of in all of these kinds of projects is you don't want to speak for people with dementia. No. You don't want to say, you know, here is dementia, right? This is what it is. It is X, Y, Z. Because like a lot of things, but particularly in the case of dementia, it is a combination of different things, right? And it's going to be unique to each individual person. You may have some aspects of aging, like, for example, I've just turned on cataracts. So you now have reduced, you know, color vision. Mm. Everything's got a kind of amber tint, contrast is lowered down a bit. And if you look around, things like the books in the bookshelves are going to be, you know, a lot harder to distinguish from one another. They're all kind of muddy brown now. The approach was always to bring together the two sets of expertise, those who understood the technology and those who understood the problem that they were trying to fix. We always marry those two. We marry the subject matter experts who understand the problem and the technologists who can help ideate and understand a solution to that problem. Once the knowledge and the technology came together, it was then up to the dementia carers. Tanya summarises the profound difference the VR experience has had on those who've done the training. In a normal workshop experience, you can put up the symptoms of dementia and you can say, these are the symptoms. And as a care worker who's been working in the industry for a while, they'll say, yes, yes, I'm aware of that, I know that. And then you can talk about how we deliver care, how we can improve care, and, and they'll think that they understand and that they know. But you bring them into the virtual dementia experience and you can just see the, the changed look on their faces of, I didn't realise, I didn't know. And then the conversation you're having is completely different and you almost don't need to tell them anymore about what they need to do to improve care. They'll start telling you. Liam's description is a little more robust. Um, I've colloquially described it as the punch in the gut experience. Mm. People with mm. the existing industry knowledge come in and say, oh, yeah, I know, I know what it means to care for someone with dementia, I know all about their condition and all that. And then they go through the experience and they're going, oh, my God, I didn't know that's what it felt like. And obviously, we don't know that this is what it exactly feels like, but we can at least try and emulate that kind of the feeling of discomfort and unease in what should be a comfortable and familiar environment. So even if this isn't exactly what cataracts look like or what glaucoma looks like or what Lewy body's um, perceptual distortions look like, the feeling is kind of the important thing because that's really how a lot of the negative impacts of care decisions can manifest. As an experience, though, for people who have limited exposure to dementia, it's a powerful tool to immediately bring you into what can be a frightening, claustrophobic and disorientating world. It's a representative sample, so it's like some of the most common and the most impactful ones and is contextualised by the facilitator, which is a really important part to say this is a representative sample of some dementia symptoms. It's not all-inclusive. It's yes, not all-inclusive. Yeah. Enthused by the success of the technology, Dementia Australia has launched several initiatives during the past five years that complement its virtual forest. A virtual reality smartphone app called Eddie, which has been sold to several countries overseas, including Canada and Singapore. Then there's the dementia-friendly home app, which is available for tablets and mobiles, that provides ideas for carers to make their home more suited for people living with dementia. And then there's the A Better Visit app, which is a free iPad app that offers a range of games to help families boost communication when they're visiting a family member with dementia. The most recent of all of these is TED, the AI avatar, which was developed in conjunction with Deakin University's Applied Artificial Intelligence Institute. And it's a training tool for carers to develop their communication skills with dementia patients. 
It was recognised last year with the Victorian Eye Award in the Not-for-Profit and Community Solution of the Year. One of Dementia Australia's partners in the technology stakes is LifeView, which runs four residential care homes in Melbourne. It too has leveraged that technology focus with further innovation that now promises to not only provide extensive monitoring of residents in care, but also free up more staff to do vital work. Dmitry Shibanov, Executive Manager of Innovation and Development at LifeView, is a former nurse with a deep understanding of healthcare and a passion for technology. On his desk in his Carnegie office in Melbourne's southeastern suburbs, he has a collection of boxes, each about the size of a paperback book. The device has extraordinary potential to not only change aged care, but coincidentally, perhaps, to also have a significant impact on COVID-19 healthcare. It was developed for LifeView with an Israeli startup and manufactured by the Japanese company that makes most of the world's remote control technology. Dimitri explains what this technology now does and is now being used across LifeView's residential care homes. What we found is because the device uh, located in the room and we and provides you with a real live data, so it's not like you need to press anything. What's tough telling us is they don't actually need to go into this particular room overnight and see if Miss Smith in the, this room is okay. You know, like uh, the old habit of knocking on the door during the night and see if the person is breathing, alive, not on the floor. So this system allows them to remove this component. So it's a, it's a double winner because First of all, you're not intruding the person's life in the room, so they have proper sleep. They're not disturbed by the staff. But at the same point, if something happened, if person uh, sits for longer than uh, five minutes in the toilet or had a fall or uh, start walking in the room in the middle of the night from corner to corner, staff will be notified. One of the key elements of this technology is its capacity to recognise distinctive breathing patterns. And those patterns are almost as unique as individual fingerprints. And that helps carers and increasingly clinicians observe patients' health from a distance. No surprise then that one of Israel's top hospitals is using one of these units in its COVID-19 ward to monitor patients without having to make regular visits into their room and remaining safe at a discreet distance outside. Liam Maguire and Opaque has also taken big strides with their own technology devising a remarkable VR tool to help show what autism is like so that family members, carers and educators can have a clearer sense of how challenging it can be. And perhaps most spectacularly, collaborating with NASA's Johnson Space Centre in the US on providing virtual training for astronauts. In many ways, though, it's not just what technology can do in a practical sense. For Liam, it's also what it can do on a broader social front. So I see there's a lot of value in both that aspect of the applications that we've been developing um, and as well as that, the awareness and the social advocacy side of these things, the whole perspectives nature of virtual experiences, I think is a really really powerful tool for empathy um, for understanding other people's perspectives. And everyone associated with the technology believes that once you've brought that ticket, you're there for a long and often wildly interesting ride. Marie in particular believes that the journey doesn't need to come at the expense of what else Dementia Australia does, and she most certainly doesn't think they've exhausted technology's possibilities. 
there's research that is absolutely essential mm. and that needs to continue and we need to invest in lobby for and continue to be committed to research into dementia and then there is the everyday care experience and the lived experience of the person living with dementia and the carer and the two are often very different but one informs the other there's no top of the mountain to this this has been the philanthropy australia podcast I'm Nick Richardson, and thanks for listening.